you are listening to the Life Community Church Sermon Podcast. Life Community is a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. This podcast is available through all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy and are challenged by our teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the channel on whatever platform you choose as we seek to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word together. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everybody. Uh, We're in James chapter 3 today, so if you have a a Bible at your house, grab it and we'll read out of that today. We want to thank you for dealing with our unfortunate turn of events here. Um, You guys have been gracious. It's awkward not to see anybody here today, but um, we're we're praising God. There's been uh, numerous negative test results that came in this morning, and so Uh, Just know that we'll tell you what's going to happen for this coming Sunday early this week. Welcome to all of you who are joining us online. This is Life Community Church, and we say this every week, that we are a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ, and we choose and strive to do that and live out that identity through practicing love with everyone always, by giving more than what makes sense, by chasing after the likeness of Christ in every corner of our lives, and by anchoring ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word. That's who we are. That's what we want to be. Um, and so we're glad that you're here or online joining us. Uh, just one thing that I want to bring to your attention is, is the Chase Conference that we've been talking about. Uh, we're going to be talking about what it means to be a neighbor. We're going to look at this word called neighboring. And we're going to do that on, on November 14th in the morning. Child care is provided. We'll have a link in your Facebook feed where you can register. We'd love for you to join that. There's going to be a challenge that comes out of that between the Thanksgiving and Christmas season uh, for us as a church to do together. So we are in James. It's our seventh week in the book of James. And over the past six weeks, we've dove into what feels like an ocean of wisdom that comes from the half-brother of Jesus, James. Uh, It's in this letter that we remember what it means to be a Christian, Uh, James writes this letter around 46, 48 AD to the very early beginnings of what we would say is the church today. Uh, This letter is written to a small group of followers of Jesus that would live inside of Jewish settlements across the Mediterranean Sea. They would have heard and believed in the name of Christ through their fellow brothers and sisters who were Jewish. Uh, And some of these people that James wrote to were those living in exile as because they faced persecution and had for, received persecution when they were in Jerusalem. And so James is writing in a heightened reality. He is writing in a hostile time. There's obvious frictions between these early followers of Jews, Jesus and their Jewish peers, yet they both share a common oppressor and a common uh, threat in the empire of Rome. There is a rising tension in this time between the Romans and the men and women of of the Jewish faith. The Romans had conquered and subdued the nation of Israel in 63 BC, some 60 years before the birth of Christ. And so these early Christians are in hardship both from their peers who now disown them and hate them and from an alien government in Rome. And so What we see is 20 years after the letter of James is written in 66 AD, 
begins the Jewish-Roman Wars, a, a, a series of three conflicts that takes the course of 60 years. And the apex of that war is the Romans destroying the temple in 70 AD. And so to say things are tense is an understatement. And to the followers of Jesus in that day, James writes, Consider it joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of various kinds. In these first two chapters of James, he has spoken to the early church and pleaded for patience and trouble. He says that you should exalt, be lifted high in your lowness. That in the kingdom of the earth that you may be low, but in the kingdom of heaven you in fact are high. And he says, remain humble, persevere, and in your steadfastness know that the unchangingly good God is with you and will be with you to the end of the age, no matter how you feel. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Come as one who listens to God's word, not one who speaks their preferences and opinions to it. And to that same group, James says, practice the truth. He says that faith without works is useless, that faith is no good if it's not evident in our behaviors, in our deeds, in our actions. It's no better than the demons who believe and shudder at the Lord. Our works testify to our faith, and so our faith and our works must go together. And so because of our faith, we seek to live like Jesus because of what he has done for us, to do the kind of works that he did as we live an other-centric life that he calls us into. And so over these two chapters, James has said, believer, be patient in trouble. Practice the truth. And here in the third chapter, he's going to say, have power over the tongue. And so let's read together in James chapter 3, starting in verse 1 and 2. He writes, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, also able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our bodies, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth the same, from, from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. 
Would you pray with me? Uh, Father, we just come under your word today, and we believe that it is the wisdom for our life. And so, Lord, let us just be humble under it. Let your spirit convict us where we need to be convicted. Let it encourage us, Lord, where we need to be encouraged. And God, let us, above all things, trust in your sufficiency in all the areas of our life. And we pray this through the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. So this is the third time that James has spoken about the dangers of our tongue in this short letter. In the first chapter, he speaks, as we remember, to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And later on in that same chapter, he says, if anyone thinks he's religious religious and does not bridle his tongue and deceive his heart, then that person's religion is worthless. There's probably no author in the New Testament that is more intimately aware of the teachings of Jesus than James is. And here James is echoing the words of his half-brother and expounding on his words while Jesus was alive when he said, it is not what goes into a mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. For what comes out of the mouth is connected to the heart, proceeds from the heart, and that defiles a person. Jesus, like James, is elevating the stark reality that what we say reveals something far deeper than the words themselves. It reveals the condition and the nature of our hearts. And so our tongue is on the mind of James as he writes these words. First to the teacher, and then he gives us practical wisdom for everyone considering our words and our tongue. He starts this passage out by saying, not many of you should be teachers. And James is not trying to discourage people from being a teacher, but he's trying to put them face to face with the weight and the responsibility that comes with being a teacher. To that day, and in that culture, to be a teacher would be someone known as a rabbi. And rabbi in the Hebrew translates into teacher master. Rabbis in that day and age would be held with great esteem. They would be at the top of the pecking order. In fact, there was a rule, a law that said if, if your family and your rabbi were taken captive and kidnapped and held for ransom, that you were to pay the ransom of your rabbi before you paid the ransom of your family. And so what is natural as this sect of believers in Jesus in the early this early sect began to take off and grow, there were many who were willing to step in and become teachers for all the wrong reasons. Why? Well, because being a teacher brought you esteem. It brought you benefit. And James cautions the readers then and today that not so many of you should become teachers. Sure, it may make you important in the eyes of men, But in the eyes of God, you are held to a deep scrutiny and accountability. I mean, think about the weight of what it means to be a teacher in the secular sense. As you teach, you are shaping people's thoughts and behaviors and beliefs. To be a teacher means that you are held by somebody in respect, that you are deemed to be worthy to be heard, that you are deemed worthy to have influence over somebody's life. That carries a great responsibility because you are shaping truth. And so now you sow teaching into the spiritual realm. Teaching about the truth of God. 
Is there anything more important and more vital for a teacher to represent the truth of who God is and what he says? To feel the accountability of making sure that what we say is in line with who God is. It's an incredible responsibility for teachers. It's an incredible responsibility that teachers will be held accountable to, as James says. And so as a teacher of the word, whether that's in our home, whether that's in a group, whether that's one-on-one, or whether it's on a stage like this one right here, in the times that we are elevated to be a teacher of God's word, there's an important tension that we need to be aware of. A tension between wanting to be liked and relevant and wanting to elevate the truth and the meaning of who God is and what he has said. James says that, that there is even greater accountability in light of our sobering common weakness. He says that many of you stumble. We all stumble in many ways. We're not perfect. So consider your imperfection when you think about becoming a teacher and understand the weight and the responsibility that you bear. And so two quick things here that I, that I want to sow into this. And I try to say this often, as, as somebody who's been given the privilege and the honor to be in front of a congregation teaching the words, I have put myself, our culture esteems and denotes success by the pastor who has more people who attends their congregation. But in the eyes of the Lord, success has always been defined as faithfulness. Do yourself a favor. Find a pastor who loves the word who teaches it rightly, who is growing to look more like Christ, and then do yourself a favor and allow yourself to be challenged. Allow yourself to be challenged. And so whether it's from a teacher, whether it's from a family member, whether it's from a friend or an enemy, our words have incredible power and they have incredible weight. And James speaks three analogies that speak towards our words power and the danger of our tongue. He compares our tongue to a bit that's in the mouth of a horse, a rudder that's on a ship, and a spark that starts a forest fire. And what James is saying is that the tongue, our words, have the power to control our pace and the direction of our life. When you watch the Kentucky Derby, you will see these muscle-bound horses that weigh a 1,000 pounds, and they are manipulated by a bit in their mouth that weighs less than two pounds. The USS Nimitz, which is a supercarrier, the largest in the U.S. Navy, one of the largest ships in the world, it weighs 91,000 tons. It's 1,100 feet in length. It can travel at 30 knots. And if you are illiterate in nautical terms like I am, that means... 35 miles an hour. It's powered by 280,000 horsepower, but yet it is controlled by a 20-foot, 25-foot rudder. And what you won't find from the jockey, nor will you find and hear from the captain of the ship, is a belief that, that sees the bit nor the rudder as inconsequential. They both, the captain and the jockey, understand the importance of the power of the tool that they have. And it is in their skillful, respectful, thoughtful use that each one of them controls their endeavor. James is clear that our tongue will control our path. 
and it has an extraordinary power to destroy it and all that are in its way. James writes, How great a forest is set afire by such a small fire, is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. You know, many of the story of wildfires that we've read in our news today have started from somebody being careless with a campfire or a spark that finds a dry piece of brush. Just these small moments create such destruction and death. And the aim of these illustrations, the rudder and the bit and the fire, isn't there to entice us to simply be more careful with our words because they have so much power. They are set here to remind us that despite our best efforts, we can't control them. James is saying, here's the reality of your tongue. It will guide you, it will control you, it reveals, and it will destroy. And that is true of everyone who's ever been born and everyone who has ever died. We don't need to be reminded of the power and the destruction of words in our lives. Many of us bear the scars and the wounds of people who in jest have said things that have hurt us. Many of us bear the wounds and the scars of parents who have left things unsaid, of friends who have used their words at our expense to make themselves feel better. We have felt the sting of accusation and the shame of rumors. But we also have felt and, and seen the gross effect that our words, written or spoken, have had on people as we've had to go back and ask forgiveness. Like we don't need another reminder that our words are destructive. We need to realize that without God, it is impossible just to do them. James says that our tongue is set on fire by hell. It is a relentless evil, full of deadly poison. He writes that it is far, more, uh, it is far greater that you could tame the giant whale shark or an elephant than for you to tame your tongue perfectly. In verse 6, he says that the tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. David Guzik, who's a commentary writer, he, he says that the human spirit has an incredible capacity for sacrifice and self-control. Sometimes we hear and read a story about somebody who is desperate and trying to survive in the wilderness where a tree may have fallen on their leg, where they cut their own leg off and get themselves to a hospital to receive medical treatment. But yet that same person lacks the ability to tame their tongue perfectly. And the reason that we can't control our tongue is the same reason that we can't control our sinful, selfish hearts. It is from the abundance of our heart that our mouth speaks. Our words aren't the root of the problem. Our words are the product of the problem. Our words reveal what we treasure. Our words reveal what we are satisfied by. Our words reveal what we want in life. And so to fix our words, we start with our heart. We start by resting in the lavish grace of our Father, who purchased us, who called us not just away from the kingdom of darkness, but transferred us into the kingdom of light. To live in the kingdom of God as if it were here today. To live in that kingdom because we are granted the keys to it by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And not to simply be somebody who's waiting to live like it until we die. 
but living today as if it were here. Solomon writes in the book of Proverbs, he says, There is one whose rash words are like swords thrust, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. James isn't specific here on what specific natures our words harm people or what words spark fire, but we can make some conclusions from our own experience because we've all tasted the hurt and the earthly pleasure of gossip to have a juicy piece of information that we can share out of context and behind somebody's back. We've all tasted that pleasure and that hurt. To be hurt by biting sarcasm that comes from people who are too lazy to deal with their issues in life but are too hurt not to say something. To feel the reproof of somebody who's trying to correct us through humor. To sense flattery as somebody tries to butter us up to get the things that they want in life from us. And lastly, criticism. Criticism is born from equal parts self-doubt and jealousy. Criticism masquerades itself as truth-telling. And the critic uses his words to make himself feel better and elevated over the object of the criticism, or the, the, the one they are criticizing, to cover for their own deficiencies in their life. And the list could go on and on of the way that we use our words in the way that we belittle people, in the way that we, we take life from people. But as we look into the world today and live in the time that we are, I suspect that the climate of the day and the, the draw of this world, alongside a fundamental need that we were created for, have created a scenario where a small but growing group of people find more pleasure in the spark that starts the fire, that burns it all down, than peace that comes from words that are seasoned with grace and truth as the Lord commands us to. Humanity will always be drawn to the sensational, the controversial, to fear-mongering, because that's what fallen humanity does. We are drawn to the same sort of dysfunction in our world, in our news, that is present in our hearts. It's just easier to deal with it and talk about it when it's external because it leads me to believe that I'm, at least I'm better than that person or at least I'm not as bad as that person. And I suspect that in our desire that we're created with to be known and to belong, we were created to be in relationships but we're living inside of a world that has sacrificed vulnerability and depth for mere connection and intimacy for distance, I suspect that we have begun to use our words as a way to demean others, to set fire on those who are different than us so that we can feel like we belong to a tribe, a movement, or a cause. It is almost like we think that if we wage war with our words against those who we disagree with, that we are almost forming a fraternity and a brotherhood with those who are battling alongside of us. But the only thing that is binding us together in that reality is cynicism, antagonism, and criticism. That is not biblical community. That is rebellion. That is a lie from the pit of hell. James doesn't write cursing those who are children of God 
or those who believe in God. No, James says all of those who are made in the likeness of God, which means any woman, man, or child that has ever walked the face of the earth. It is not permissible. It is not by mere association, by appearance, or by label. That those of faith are the ones who are patient in trials, practice the truth, and have power over the tongue. And although it is almost impossible in our flesh to be perfect in those things, we commit our lives to the grace that was given to us to be more like Jesus, unless our tongue is the Holy Spirit of God. Through the conviction and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, we can rein in and tame the tongue. It is only through Him. And in the light of the sin of our words, let us recognize God's prevailing grace for the imperfect words that we have spoken and the imperfect words that we have believed and heard. That we would remember that in the beginning God spoke and made all things. And then Satan spoke and created the fall. But yet God spoke again and brought us redemption. God has the last word on you and me. And it is by his word that we're healed and sustained. Grace is never too far out of our reach. Never too far out of our reach. God opposes the proud, but yet he gives grace to the humble. And the scripture says that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us. There's always a new day. There's always new grace. There's always new mercy. Solomon says in Proverbs 10 that the mouth of the righteous is a well of life. The mouth of the righteous is a well of life. Our words in the hands of the Lord, in the service of the Lord, they can lift up the weary, they can comfort the poor, they can gracefully correct the wayward. They can bring perseverance to those in trial and encouragement to those who are low. They can bring life. And James is clear that the reality of our words are far more destructive than we think. But they can be subdued and reined in and they can bring life from those who rest and remain in the love of God that saves sinners like you and I. Would you pray with me? Uh, Lord, we just uh, humbly confess to you that, that we have damaged people through our tongue. That, Lord, our fears have created angst and anger and we have spoken out of anger and angst. That, Lord, there may be even some of us that have enjoyed setting the spark that starts the fire that befalls. It would bring us low that it would humble us and how we speak to the world and to one another, that we would become fountains of life as we give our words to your service and under your command. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for the grace that, all, that we need every day in our life, that if we are faithful to confess, that you are faithful and just to forgive. And so help us to rest and remain in your love all the days of our life. And we pray this.
through our great Savior and Messiah, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.